Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you, enter your courts with praise. And so, Lord, you say where two or three are gathered in your name, so you are there. We're more than that, Lord. We're coming before you. We're right there in your throne room, praising you, thanking you for how you've led in our lives so far. Help us to see clearly how you will lead us through the future. And Lord, specifically help us to see the one, the unspeakable gift who will be the one to lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a lot of Thanksgiving memories. And if you go thinking back to just this week, you probably have some new memories that you've made. I remember there we were making a chicken house, John and I, Marie's dad and I, this week during Thanksgiving, among other things, while she was slaving away in the kitchen. She really wasn't slaving away that much, but it was a really wonderful meal. Thank you, Marie. But as I look back, don't most Thanksgivings have something to do with family, projects, coming together, food, all of that, right? And so you can think back to your favorite Thanksgiving memories, but I will think back to going to Grandma and Grandpa's house when I was young. And typically we would get there and the meal, my grandma would be putting it out on the table. It seemed like it took her, like that scripture reading, all generations, forever, to get that meal out there. Because there we were in this smaller home, and you've never been to my grandmother's house, but you walk in the front door, there's a living room, small living room, and you can see the dining room from there. It's just right there. And then the kitchen is behind uh, the living room, just a wall separating you from all those smells from the kitchen. And I remember as a child feeling like it was forever because we would arrive fashionably late, which is a habit in my family and my mom and us. And the reason why we would is because she didn't want us to wait, feel like we were waiting forever and ever and ever because you could smell those smells of the pumpkin pie. You could see her setting the cranberry sauce out on the table. You could see all the care that was going into it and you could literally eat a meal with your nose before you would even taste it. And then the time would come. She'd say, it's all on the table, come on in. And it was only a few steps away. And we were glad to get out of that room because my uncle, every Thanksgiving, watches football from a recliner in that living room there. And so we felt like it had already been long enough, but my grandfather has a tradition. As a Christian man, he gathers us around the table there. And as a child, you feel like, okay, let's get it over with, let's eat. But he would say, let's name one thing you're thankful for. Any of you guys have traditions like that? Yeah, something like that. And the circle, depending on how big it is, it would take some time to get around there. And my brother Bryce would say, I'm thankful, and sometimes he'd say, I'm thankful for cranberry sauce, a piece of food, right? A certain type of food. And then you find others who would say something more sublime, something more, more somber. I'm thankful for family. Now, this isn't the family I had then, but that's, but that's what they would say. My grandma would always say something like, I'm thankful for family, thankful we're close together for this meal together. And then you'd find someone like my uncle who would always pipe up <laughs> something smart, Alex, something to break that, that, that somber feeling. He'd say, I'm thankful for football. And everybody would be like, oh, yeah, yes, you're thankful for football, but we're not. And I would hope that by the time it got around to my turn, you ever been in that seat where you just hope that when it got around to you, nobody would take your answer? Whether it's school or whether it's, well, as a child, it was this was one of the most heart-pounding situations that I had. It's like, okay, hopefully nobody takes my answer because I don't have a second one. My answer was pumpkin pie. My brother Bryce would throw out cranberry sauce. My grandma would throw out the somber one. My uncle would throw out the more humorous, 
yeah, goof off football one, and I would throw back out something like that. But you know, those meals come and go, don't they? Those answers kind of a reflection of where we're at at the time when we give them. And as I think of those Thanksgiving memories, don't you long for something more meaningful to say than the food? Your family's a little more appropriate, I would think. The relationships are more appropriate. The football, the food, the food, the food, the food. I mean, come on. Don't we long deep down inside to have something more meaningful to say than that? I know as I was thinking about today, I thought about Thanksgiving past where there were times when I didn't have family around. There were times when the food wasn't quite as abundant as it was at my grandmother's house. There were times when I, even like last Thanksgiving, where I was struggling with some health issues. You know, wherever you find yourself at, you, you long for something more meaningful than just a simple little answer that nobody else is giving around the circle there. You long to be able to say something you're truly thankful for, and truly, if I don't find that, I don't say anything at all. You say, well, you're a pastor, you should be thankful for a lot of things. Yes, but when you're on the spot, what is it something meaningful that you can really give thanks for? Because when I became a Christian, and I got to that family circle at Thanksgiving, I began to say to myself, what can I really say besides pumpkin pie? There's got to be something more meaningful than that, especially now that I'm a Christian. That, and that question still remains, what are you most thankful for today? What is a meaningful answer that you can give? Because the plates have been scraped, the dishes have been put away, some of you have other decorations out already, the stores are already going forward with the Christmas songs. What are we most thankful for? The day after the day after Thanksgiving. Yesterday was everybody getting the big prizes that they thought they were shopping for. Today, though, what is it? I go to 2 Corinthians for a partial answer. Corinthians is a couple of interesting books that Paul writes to a church that really has, if you want to add up the number of problems they have, it's got a lot of problems. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians deals with a number of these problems. Everything from sexual immorality in the church to the opposite where there is a holy fervor for different gifts. And they, they have different teachings about the second coming, about death. He's got to counteract a whole bunch of disunity in that church. And it's tucked in this. And what's interesting is this church that needed unity so much had a great capacity to give. How can that be? You know, you got all this stuff going on, but yet such a huge capacity to give. And Paul reminds them and points them to instances when they had given to the Macedonian cause and to others, and he says, I want your hearts to still be open. Even though you're going through all of this, still be open because I'm coming by soon, and we're going to come and we're going to pick up a collection, and we're going to take it to a, such and such a place. And he starts out with the idea of offering, but he really ends it with the idea of their heart. This offering would be not just for their fellow believers, but be something that could somehow impact those around them. And he points out, well, if you're not thankful, then how can you truly give cheerfully to those around you? You can say, oh yeah, here it is. You know, here's, somebody comes up to you and is panhandling you at Walmart or something. Yeah, here's some money. Get out of the way. No, that's not a cheerful giver. Paul's saying that there is something that changes our hearts to the point where we can give cheerfully. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 9. I'll throw these up on the screen. You can look at verses 1 to 5 on your own. 
1 to 5, I just put a summary up there. Paul has boasted of this church's past giving. How they had not only supplied the needs of the church members around them, but of wants of those even outside of their faith. And he's telling them, as I send people by or I come by to pick up the offering, not like with our baskets, but to gather it as I come, we don't want you to be found lacking. We want you to plan ahead. We want you to think through and be willing to give generously again. And then in that context, he says this, but I say this, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Each one, as he purposes in his heart, let him give. Not of grief or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've seen this used for offering calls. But really what Paul is saying is this leads up to thanksgiving. Not the season, but the heart. And look at this carefully. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. If you sow nothing at all of kindness, what would you reap? Nothing. You would have nothing. And eventually if a farmer doesn't sow anything season after season, and he's like typical Midwestern farmers where you've got to loan out on a piece of equipment, a com you know, combine that's a huge machinery, you've ridden in them, or a way of one of your trucks or something like that. You've got these debts out there, and you sow nothing year after year. Eventually, what's going to happen to your farm? It's over with. Now, you, you literally, some of them would take out, I remember a dear fellow in northern, northern Kansas, he had a stretch, not acres of land, sections of land, and they stretched from northern Kansas across the border into Nebraska. And as he said to me, he said, one season I took out a $100,000 loan for seed, fuel, and he just listed a few things off. I'm like, $100,000 just for that. But if he just keeps all that and doesn't do anything with it, what happens? He's lost. You, know, you can take out an insurance claim for a bad crop, but if you don't do your job year after year, you're going to lose everything. And so Paul's saying, we've been given seeds, and we'll get to what that is in a little bit later on, and if we don't share that with those around us, we reap nothing. Even somebody who sows sparingly would reap sparingly. Even somebody who sows bountifully would reap bountifully. And so each one of us has to say, okay, God is calling upon me to sow something in this world. Not just the money that we talk about. The money is about our hearts. And it says God loves a cheerful giver. Kind of reminds me of the boys in the family, or girls, who when the father says, hey, I need this done. One of them makes the excuse, I got something else to do it. Okay, but the other one said, sure, I'll do it. And he goes right ahead and does it. This is what the language is describing here. It's like a trusting child who says, he sees the need and just automatically does it. Prompt is the word in the Greek. And so when we see a need around us, spiritual or physical, how does our heart react? Are we like the child who says promptly, I'll do it, and goes and does it? Or do we hold back? Paul's hoping they're cheerful like God is. Because God, when he saw a need, he gave. And so do we sow? If you sow, could you, lose, could you take a loss if you sow? Everybody knows that. Even if you've only got a simple garden plot and you put those seeds in the ground, you spent money on those seeds, you spend money on that water, especially in these drought years, and you could get nothing out of it. You could 
the seeds for whatever reason could just not come up or whatever. You could take a loss. Or if you're a farmer, you could go ahead and find that for whatever reason, the year that you decided to keep the Sabbath, I know one farmer who did this, he kept it all his life, but one year especially, it was a challenge. He decided to keep the Sabbath and not go out and harvest his crop on Sabbath and wait until the next day. And a hailstorm came through and wiped it, <laughs> wiped it out. Just totally crunched it all down. I remember sitting there in the vehicle and he said to me, but you know what? And you could see it in his eye. <laughs> I planted corn after that. And he draws the story out. Does an excellent job. And the prices of corn skyrocket. And his harvest that he had for the corn, and that's just almost like a gamble, isn't it? You, don't, you never know when you throw that seed in the ground. What is the price going to be at market time when the moisture content is just right? But he trusted the Lord and he sowed. Does that happen every time? He said no. But it happened at least that once, so I can still remember to trust him. So a sower knows they could take a loss, but they also know they can gain. And through that gain, imagine putting that seed in the ground and waiting on weather to really bring about the, the, the plant coming up and eventually getting to the harvest time. Like winter wheat, some of these crops that you grow, you put them in the ground, you hope that you're going to get enough moisture that's going to bring that crop to where it needs to be. How much trust does that take? Do we do that every day here in average American life? No, we go to the grocery store and pick it up. So there you are, reliant upon it for your livelihood. And yes, you could gain greatly. That picture, by the way, is taken over in Mitchell, South Dakota. Look at all those pieces of corn they put together to make that. Been in the corn palace, that's what it looks like. But we can sow, and yeah, we could take a loss, but you know how much more we could gain by trusting through the process? So 2 Corinthians is saying, trust God. He is able, and the text goes on, to make all grace abound toward you, that in everything, everything, you would always have all sufficiency, which means you don't need someone to support you, which means you sit back content with what God has provided for you. God can get us all to that point, regardless of how much we have or how little we think we have. God can get us to the point where we sit back and say, I'm thankful for what I do have. And then you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and he's quoting Psalm 112, He scattered, He has given to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. God Himself took the risk. God Himself scattered His goodness and kindness to this world. And therefore, we should as well. Weren't we all poor before God got our attention, spiritually speaking? And imagine how much you can learn and know of eternal value since He did get your attention. And it goes on, and there's three ways that Paul mentions that he is faithful and that we could be thankful for. The first one is, number one, he provides necessities. Aren't we all sitting here because he provided necessities? You got shoes on your feet, clothing, some form of food, some form of shelter. And even if you don't have some form of shelter, you're going to find that there, in some way you're taking care of, you're still alive. And so Paul says, now he who supplies seed to the sower, which gets the guy by, and bread for eating, which means then a harvest had to take place to even provide the basic necessities, may he supply and multiply your seed and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He's not talking about descendants either. He's talking about us feeling blessed to the point where we bless others. 
if we recognize he's given us even the bare necessities, if we just look at that little item there, we could be thankful and share that with those around us. And thankfulness is catching. Just like all these other feelings in our world are, are catching. You get into a group and they're all thinking about getting that one item at Target or wherever they went, and they rush in there. I mean, you ever been into that kind of crush? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll share more of a story next year about that. But here they are, and they're all focused on that one thing. Is, the, is it a thankful moment or not? But imagine, there you are, gathered with your family. It's an atmosphere of thankfulness. Here we are gathered together. It's an atmosphere of thankfulness. It's almost like you're breathing an atmosphere that's not of this world. And so, yes, we need to recognize that He provides necessities. And when is the last time we thanked Him just for necessities when we're right there in the moment? hope it's often. hope it's not just around the Thanksgiving meal table. There I was, I was looking at the, the little sprouts in my greenhouse, and those sprouts are fed by the water. I don't water them with the water from my hose. I said, Lord, I'm going to plant those little seeds in the ground, and I'm going to put my buckets right underneath the downspout there, and you're going to have to provide the water for those because we don't have the allotment. Our allotment's still cut in half, even now when it's raining. And so I'm going to plant those seeds, and I'm going to wait for you to fill up those buckets to water them. The other day I went out there, and, and the buckets were full. Now they're probably overflowing. I haven't checked them since yesterday, or the day before yesterday. Actually, since Wednesday, when I watered it. But I remember sitting in there after I watered it one day, and there I am with this tin can, and I scoop it out of those buckets, and I walk in there, and I water it by hand. And I'm looking at these little sprouts coming up, and they're going to be our winter greens. And I sat down on a a little thrown-away milk crate that somebody threw out here on the ground. I picked it up one day. And I sat on that as my stool, and I looked around, and I smelled the dirt, and I looked at the little plants, and I just felt so thankful just for those little seeds growing. That's going to provide lettuce for our family. We don't have to get it to the store. Little thanks. That's what Paul's talking about. Just the little necessities of life, we can give thanks to God for that. The second thing he mentions is he provides abundance so we can bless others. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.11, you being enriched, this, this idea of poured out a blessing on you in everything to all generosity. Whose generosity? It was God's which works out thanksgiving to God through us. Do you realize that you are a thanksgiving package to somebody else? So am I. Like we had all that food up here, and we took those and put it in the boxes, and we took it to people. And one year, I remember when I didn't, my family didn't have a lot of necessities, a Seventh-day Adventist church brought a box of food, yeah, turkey in tow, and they brought it over there, and they put it into our family's hands. Do you think we were thankful? for the people who God had blessed. We were. The food stamps were not enough that month. And so this is saying that God has enriched us to the point where we could then in turn bless others because that same heart of God that gives is in us. And then as a result, Thanksgiving happens all throughout the year, not just at a certain season. It results in Thanksgiving to God through us. We become instruments of Thanksgiving. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? How could we? And then we, how could we ever take credit for it? Because God's the one who blessed us with enough to even give. The text continues and goes on, and it kind of lists a whole bunch of things here underneath that one, bringing, bringing thanksgiving to others. 
For the ministry of this service not only supplies the things lacking of the saints, the church, but also multiplying through many thanksgivings to God. Not just the church, it's going to go through outside the church. Keep going on. It says, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your freely expressed submission to the gospel of Christ. You've recognized what Christ has done for you. You, as a result, are thanking Him, yeah, for the basic necessities and the generosity, and you, as a result, you're sharing that with those around you. And that, by the way, the word generosity means you're not seeking anything, any credit for yourself. It's just almost like an impulse. And it says, not only you, but generosity of the fellowship toward them and toward all. Not just the saints, but towards everyone else. That's right out of the book of Acts. They increased in favor with not only just God and man and each other, but also outside of the fold, outside of the church. He continues, and in their prayer for you, not just the church members, but people who are not church members, when they pray for you, who long after you because of the exceeding grace of God on you. They see God's kindness through you. Man, Paul, you're packing a whole lot into this one little chapter here. There's so much in each one of these verses. But could the main idea be, thank God for the necessities that He's given you. Thank Him for the generosity that now is flowing out to those around you. And Paul doesn't quit there. He says that our blessings to others is just a reflection of His blessing, His love for us. Yes, that was sitting right up here last week. It's not here now. It's gone out. We then, in return, share the blessing with those around us. So, yes, thank Him. He provides those necessities that we take for granted sometimes. Thank Him. He provides that abundance so that we can then bless other people. It's not for ourselves. When you hold it to yourself, then it becomes selfishness. And then number three, we can thank God because He provides an unspeakable gift. In just one line here, we find something that we can thank God for every day. Besides the other two. The unspeakable free gift. And that word unspeakable, people say, well, what does that really mean? We're not supposed to talk about it? No. Actually, it means indescribable. It gets you to the point where you just are overwhelmed by it. You don't know what to say about it. Or you get that idea of you're not able to narrate. How can you really tell the story of what God has done perfectly? How could you really describe it perfectly? You can't. That's what Paul's saying. You can't narrate it. You can't fully declare it to everybody with perfect language but you need to declare it. And it says this unspeakable free gift. This is really where it points to a person. What, what free gift do we have? Spiritually, that's been given to us. And it's somehow linked to God's Word. Holy Spirit, okay? We find that's a down payment. We find in Ephesians, especially it seals our hearts. But grace has been thrown out there three or four times. Who's the unspeakable gift? We find that word for free gift is daros in the Greek, this dowry. Who has paid a dowry for a bride for salvation? Jesus Christ. Paid with His own blood. And we're going to find there's even agrarian language that links it into the harvest season we're in right now. And so we go to the Harvest Psalms and we find a price being paid. It mentions seed, it mentions harvest, and it mentions 
this person directing you to the right way to going. And this is all talking about how Christ paid a price for us. You can go to our scripture reading in Psalm 100, but you could also go to this one here. This giving God not only gives to us, but he blesses us and guides us in the right way. It says in Psalm 85, verse 6, Will you not give us life again so that your people may rejoice or brighten up in you? We've been, it talks about captivity before this. And Paul, and sorry, the psalmist is saying, God gives to you life again, newness. And for them, it was being able to have life continue. For us, what is it? We want spiritual life. We want to not just go through the motions. We don't just want to go through a Thanksgiving meal and put it all away and that's it. We want to be thankful. We want to have something spiritual deeper than that that causes us to brighten up every day. At least it should if we paused and thought about it. Show us your mercy, O Jehovah. Same word for Yahweh. And grant us your salvation. I will hear what God will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Let us focus on it then. Let's not, let's not turn away from it. Let's, let's focus on the peace. Let's focus on this God who's merciful to us. Surely his salvation is near those that fear him, so that glory may dwell in our land. Why isn't glory dwelling in our land? We're not taking upon ourselves the helmet of salvation. We're not encouraging, pointing others to that the way we should. At least, I would say as a country, not necessarily individuals. A lot of you are doing that, or we wouldn't even be sitting here today. But surely his salvation is near to those that fear him, so that glory may dwell in our land. I want God's glory to dwell in not only my house, in my area, and in my land. And so it begins by focusing on the salvation. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. This union of heaven and earth through this mercy and truth. Yea, Jehovah shall give good, and our land shall yield its increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the ways of his steps. You see, look at this progression here. Go on back to the verse back there. They're, re- they're brightening up because God has given them peace, but hasn't God also given them an increase? This means some sowing has taken place. This means that then a harvest is taking place. And that harvest yields people who follow in his steps in the way of God. So when God blesses, when he pours out and pays a price for us, like that dowry price, it results in goodness being spread around through us as we follow in his steps. And I looked at those three words. I'm thinking, well, how is that having anything to do with that, what Paul was saying? Well, Paul's talking about the, the harvest. He's talking about the one who paid a price, gave us an unspeakable free gift. And that free gift has something to do with a seed going into the ground, a harvest resulting because of that, and people following him in the way. Jesus himself answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, that's a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That's a harvest. And so we find when Jesus died, he not only paid a price, he also gave us a truth, a seed, that we could scatter throughout the world, the likes of which no other faith group has. It's almost like he was a person paying for his bride with seed, with some kind of agrarian produce. He who loves his life shall lose it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. 
And then it says, if anyone serves me, Jesus said, let him follow me. That's the way. And where I am, there also my servant shall be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause I came to this hour. This hour of fulfillment was when the seed, if you will, went into the ground. Dies, if you will. And then, does he stay there? Comes up out of the tomb, dying for you and for me. And we, in essence, if we choose to believe that, are the harvest. And so Paul is drawing on all this language to tell us to be thankful. To be thankful for the basic things. To be thankful for the generosity of God. But to be thankful for what God has done, this gift that is beyond any story or parable or whatever we can to attach to it. It's beyond all of that. And so Jesus Christ is the unspeakable gift. He's the one that the Scriptures pointed to. We can thank God, yes, for the necessities, yes, for the abundance so we can bless others. We've done that. But we also need to remember to thank Him for the unspeakable gift, which means we have to focus on this one often. So those questions come up again. Uh, what if my family and friends are not around? What if this is kind of a lonely season for me rather than a real joyous, brightening season? Well, the Scripture points out that you're not alone in this. There is one who is walking beside you as a friend. You're not on this way alone. You're actually following somebody through this part of the journey of life. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the unspeakable gift for your season right now. What about if food is not abundant in your family like it was with mine a couple of times? Well, hasn't He given you life? in and of itself. And eventually, through the generosity of others, it overflowed and He provided what my family needed. He will provide what you need. Maybe not exactly what you want all the time, but what you need. What about if my health is debilitating? I don't feel like celebrating this time of the year. No. Did He feel like being like a seed placed into the ground when He was here? If you look at this unspeakable gift, then you see that He answers every one of our situations, even if it's not a Thanksgiving traditional table we're sitting around this time of year. And so imagine we are sitting around that Thanksgiving table. What are you most thankful for today? Things can come and go. Family and friends can be near or far. But here is one who stands beside us all the way. When nothing else remains, we can be thankful for this gift. And in fact, we're getting into a season where a lot of people think about this one. So I imagine there I am around the table. There's my pumpkin pie answer. Thankful for the food, right? That's one of those things we can be thankful for. Necessities and generosity. My grandmother pouring it out. My grandfather would always talk about thanking the Lord for, for what he's given us. Always mention the Lord in there somehow. And so yeah, we're thankful for food. We can be thankful for family. Um, <laughs> what about that one? When the uncle comes up. All right, depends on which team you're rooting for. <laughs> it just so happened it had uh, the Raiders on there. But at any rate, thank him for football. Well, it's up to you if you're watching it. But I want to thank him for something I'm unable to narrate that doesn't get played out before me on any real huge big screen TV all the time. Something that I go to the page of this book for. Someone who walks beside me like a friend. Someone who soon is to return, and I'm not even able to narrate that event adequately. And so that's an unspeakable, 
event, the unspeakable gift returning. That is an even more unspeakable gift. I don't know anything about jewels and gold and all of that, so I can never narrate that adequately to you. Can you, can you tell me what precious metal looks like pure, transparent gold? You say it's gold, but really, have you seen it? I mean, can we really declare that fully? That's an unspeakable gift as well. What about that? Sitting there with Jesus, hummingbirds and all kinds of animals coming. Can you really speak about all the things of heaven adequately? Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has planned for. Unspeakable gift as well. But of all of it, this is the one. One who died for us. And even that picture does not speak the way it maybe it should to all of us. This is the one who I want to be thankful to God for. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Will we give thanks to God for Him, not only just this time of year, but every day of our lives? Father in heaven, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your love. Thank You, we can thank You for the necessities of life, for the generosity that You've given us to share with others. But mostly, thank You for Jesus, the unspeakable gift. Help us to treasure Him in our hearts, ponder Him daily, and share Him with the world around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.